Well, hello, everyone, and it's time for Ephesians chapter 4. So pray with me, would you please? Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity again to be able to open your word, to know that every word is true, and this book is all we need. It can meet every one of us right where we're at. Father, I pray that we are willing to let this lesson do that today. Father, we commit it to you. We pray for spiritual eyes, ears, and a heart to be opened, and we know that your Holy Spirit is ready to make these words come off the page, and we will truly give you the praise for what you are going to do in us, through us, and how you are going to change us in this lesson. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I reiterated in the prayer already, this is your Bible and my Bible. It is God's word. Every word of it is true, and it is all that we need. And that's why we study it, every word of it. So now in Ephesians 3, we left last week. Well, actually, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are all three wonderful chapters on how how we can look to Jesus and know that he has completed it all for us. Because of him, we are redeemed, we're brought back, we are forgiven, we have grace and mercy, and we have been chosen. Father, it is just amazing what the Father did through Jesus, and now through his Spirit, we can live this abundant, fulfilled, filled, complete, contented, satisfied life. And the only time we get off that is when is when self starts taking over. Now, that's why in this chapter, after having three chapters of Paul just writing to the people of Ephesus, just reminding them, remember from what you came from, and then reminding them all what they are because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Well, now the fourth chapter, it's pretty much, well, how did that change affect you? Or are you changed? Is this real? See, it's hard to even imagine how how we cannot be changed. Because before, we were following our own way, and then, because of the cross, it is not about us anymore, it's about him. And now we are following and listening to the voice of God through his spirit. Now, he is going to take us in a total different direction. So that's why Paul was so firm about that we old things are gone and behold all things become new and we will see that even more so today he really reiterates that you have a new behavior you have a new countenance you have a new, new purpose you have been changed in fact I think last week that's predominantly what the main meaning of the chapter was, is that we have been changed by God's Spirit. We're certainly going down a different path. We are so listening to a different voice. So can you see that change? And chapter 4, I think Paul really makes sure that if we don't see these changes, or if we are not being obedient and our character is not being changed, and we see that that 
we are still the same old, same old. And we have the same interests. We have, we have, we still fall prey to, to our own, you know, emotions. And we let fear and, and anger and all these things take over us. Now Paul is saying that is not the way we are supposed to live. There is a whole different way to live. And he's going to be very specific And sometimes we don't want to hear all this. And we're thinking, oh, that's impossible, Paul. No, a lot of times we just kind of excuse our behavior because we do not want to be convicted. We do not think it's possible. Maybe we don't even believe that the Holy Spirit is able to change us that much, but he is. So listen to these words as Paul starts this chapter he again reiterates, as, I, as a prisoner for the Lord then. I think he wants us to make sure that we know life isn't always easy. Life isn't always comfortable. Life isn't always the way we want it. Maybe this is a new season of life for you, and, and or maybe your body isn't working. Maybe you've had a, a tough doctor's appointment, or or maybe maybe there's there's just I mean there's the list is endless to the to way the way we can kind of get thrown off balance. And so Paul says. I just want to remind you that I'm a prisoner. Life has changed for me too. This is not the way I really wanted the end of my life to be like. But instead of feeling sorry for myself, um, feeling like I'm worthless, that the best of my life is over, Paul is saying, I'm a prisoner, and yet I still have much to contribute. I have much to teach you. And so that's a reminder to us too. Every season of life, every obstacle that we seem to face, the Lord is always up to something. And are we willing to let him work through us? Or are we just going to go in our little corner and and then just wish life away maybe even? But but he is saying there's still, there's still reason to get up in the morning, there's still reason to think that you are still worthwhile. You have something to give and to share and to be involved in. Even if you can't get out of your house, you can you can write notes, you can call on the phone, you can you can have a, a life of prayer, of interceding on someone's behalf. I mean, Paul is confined. He can't leave. And, and that's why it's so important we see that and why he repeats that. Because so often when we think we're confined in whatever confinement, whether in the body or literally home, and especially in this last year or so, we feel so confined. But, you know, God is still working. He's working in his world. He's working in his children. He's working in you and me. If we just get off thinking about ourselves and onto him, and this is what Paul is doing. He says, I'm a prisoner, but I want to teach you. I, I, and he uses words like, I urge you. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
Now, he knows he can't make us. He can't come to every one of our houses and grab us by the arm and scold us and, and, and look at us straight in the eye. But in a sense, through the Holy Spirit, we get the point. It's almost like he is coming into our house and he is looking at us in the face. And he's strongly saying, I can't make you, but I urge you. I urge you to live your life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, you have been given salvation. You have been given a hope. You've been given eternal life. You've got a future to look forward to. So I urge you, because of what Jesus has done, chapters 1 to 3, now I'm saying you have to act like it. You've got to think like it. You've got to... Well, this is the way your life has got to look now. There is a responsibility. Jesus did his part. Now he's urging us to do our part. And when he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. You know, when you wear the name Christian, that means you have chosen to follow Christ. And I believe that everybody expects a certain kind of behavior, action, character, when you wear that label Christ. And when you look so much like the world and you behave so selfish and self-centered and self-consumed, that doesn't differentiate you from anyone else in the world. But when you have been changed by the Holy Spirit, when your whole character is striving to be like Jesus, then you are going to look and be different. And he says, I urge you to live like that because that is a drawing factor. That's your way of saying thank you. I mean, we can, we can verbally say thank you. In fact, we say it every day probably when we pray, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for me. But I think sometimes the Lord wants us to put our life where our mouth is. I think sometimes he almost says, prove it to me. Are you really thankful? And that's why Paul wrote, in in view of what he's done for you, are you offering yourself back to him and offering him your life to do whatever? So when he says, I urge you, that's that's a real, like I said, he can't make you, but he sure is saying, I urge you to live your life worthy of the calling that you have received You've been called to be a follower of Christ. Do you look like it? Do you act like it? And so he gives us, in verse 2, he gives us a, a few little examples of what he expects. And I say little examples, but not easy. And yet this is what he expects. Be completely, completely humble and gentle. That is so opposite of the way the world operates today. 
I mean, don't you hear all the time, if you don't take care of yourself, who's going to take care of you? And, you know, you see ego, and you see power play, and you see all that that kind of um, definition, world definition of a success. And people are loud, and they're, they're boastful, and they're prideful. And Paul is saying, uh, to live your life worthy of the calling, it's not about you. Just be completely humble because anything and everything that you are now are because of what Christ has done, because of that old rugged cross, because of that empty tomb. Be completely humble and gentle. Now, when you, when you think about humble and gentle, it, I always think that humble, how do I... How do I how do I define humble or humility? And that is to make sure that I stay in my proper place. That I never try to excel to the, the position of God. And I know that sounds terrible, but whenever we think that we can handle our own lives and we kind of push the Lord off his throne and we get back on it and we want to call the shots and we don't surrender to him, when we don't say your will be done when, we are, when we're petitioning him, when you are humble, then that means you stay in your place. He's God and I'm not. He has the plan. He's got the big picture. He's got the perfect will. He's got it working. And all he wants, like Jesus said, to be a follower of mine, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. In this day of leaders, everybody wants to be a leader. Sometimes we just need to be humble and gentle. And you know, the best of leaders even are humble and gentle. It's just so contrary to what we're hearing in the world. And then, then Paul goes on to say, and also be patient, bearing Bearing with one another in love. Don't you find that today people get angry so quickly and everybody's got a short fuse and they lose their temper. And, and Paul is saying, you know what, step back, be patient, be long suffering, bear with one another in love. Um, think before you speak. Don't need to be the, the number one. Don't need to be the life of the party. Sometimes being the life of the party, you can say and do things to get a laugh, to, do, to, to try to get the attention on you. And sometimes what comes out of our mouth or out of our actions I really want to remember these verses that Paul said. I urge you, I urge you to live a life the way that Jesus would just smile, being humble and gentle. Now remember, gentle doesn't mean, mean that, you know, you're just, you know, sickly nicey all the time. I mean, 
gentle is really a, a strength. And when we get into the fruit of the Spirit or whenever we do a study on the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness is the, the eighth one. It's the second to the last fruit of the Spirit. And gentle does not mean that you're just being walked all over and you're a rug to, that everybody wipes their feet on. And Gentle just means you let everything go. No, gentle just means that you have a silent strength. You know who you are in Christ Jesus. You don't need to fight and debate and cause a ruckus. You know you're strong within yourself. There's something very powerful. And I can use gentle, powerful and gentle, when you know who you are in Christ Jesus. You don't have anything to prove to the world except that you've got the character of Jesus coming out of you. And that, again, is the opposite of the world. And that's why this chapter is so important because it's so easy to follow the patterns of the world. And what the majority of people, even Christians, are doing. I keep repeating, I know, Paul says, I urge you now, after all what he's done, after all that you have learned from this letter, what I've told you to remember and to remind you of, Know that there's also a responsibility in the way people perceive you, the way they look at you, the way they see you live, and the way, way they see you act. Are you humble and gentle and patient and bearing one another in love? And that kind of love that he's talking about is the fruit of the Spirit, love, which means love when it isn't easy. Love unconditionally. It would be so easy for me to just break into a reminder of all nine fruit of the Spirit because there's such a counterfeit of every one. I mean, we all as humans can produce love and we think we can produce joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, but there, we can't. We can produce a cheap counterfeit. And really, when you produce the counterfeit, you will see that those actions are self-motivated. But when, you're, when you are the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you, you love when they're not giving anything back to you. In fact, they're quite unlovable. And you're willing to love. That's the kind of love Jesus has. Love that's defined by grace and mercy. And he said, that's the way I want you to act. That's the way I want you to be. Bearing one another. And bearing. I like that language because sometimes it's, people are so difficult that it's just hard to bear it. And he said, but I want you to. And the Spirit will help you. Remember, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us to do in us what we could never do on our own. And one of the biggest things the Holy Spirit does is produce love in us. Grace, mercy, love. 
the kind that's undeserved, that's not easy to give, but the Holy Spirit enables us to do it. What a testimony that, what that just looks so, so different. People aren't expecting that. They're expecting us to react the way the majority of the world does. And Paul is saying, no, I urge you to live the way Jesus lived. Love, even when it's not easy. Make every effort, he says. Make every effort. So Paul is admitting he knows he knows that this isn't easy. What's easy is to let our own self and our emotions or when someone does something wrong. I mean, you know, you almost can just feel your, your fist kind of tighten up and, and you just kind of want, want revenge and you want to kind of poke them back. And, and Paul says, no, no, make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, take a deep breath, and as you take a deep breath before you open your mouth, picture the old rugged cross. Picture that now that you have surrendered your life to him, that you now are expected to live a life worthy of that calling. Because he was willing to do for you, now it is time for you to show him a big thank you on the way you live. This is what Paul is saying, make every effort. This is not an easy chapter when he is trying to say to us, this is what he expects of you now. And he's admitting this is not going to be the natural. You've got to make an effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And you, you know, that's the unity of the word of God, the unity, it's to always stay on the principles of God's word. You don't stay in the unity. That's why he puts it, stay in the, uh, make every effort to, to keep the unity of the spirit, capital S, spirit. Let, let the Holy Spirit bind this situation together. Don't just be impulsive. Don't just let self take over. Take the deep breath. Let the Holy Spirit take over. And let him cause the unity through peace. And he explains it. You know why that's possible? Because there is one body, one spirit. When he says one body, one body of Christ. The body of Christ, every one of us had to come to salvation the very same way. And that's through the blood of Christ. So anybody who is, and we talked about that last week, about the family of God, that were, when you said, remember for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, you are not in God's family unless you have humbly gone to the cross. And then that makes you a part of that one family, one body, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. As different as what every one of us are. Because he, he made us all different on purpose. 
no carbon copies. And yet the one thing every one of us across this nation, across this world, the terms are, you want to be one of my children? You want to be a part of the family? You want to be a part of one body? Then you all come to Jesus the same way. That's why when Paul is writing this letter, he is writing and, and whoever's reading it to everybody, you know, they're all standing there, different ages, different social statuses, different, um, they're, they're just male and female, they're all different. And yet he says we are all one body because there's one spirit we are all called, called to this one hope, which is Jesus, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The one thing we share is Jesus. And do you realize as different as we all are, and we all have differences, do you know that as big as our differences might be, do you realize that the bond of Christ, the one thing that we have in common, which is Jesus, it will, over, it will override any difference. The power, that's why the unity, we can have unity as different as what we all are and as different of opinions as we all have. If we come together in the name of Jesus who unifies us, Believe it or not, according to God's word here, according to Paul, and according to the Holy Spirit, he can bind us all together. That kind of love can override whatever differences we had. Whoa, wouldn't that be something? So what's the problem? What gets in the way? It's called S-E-L-F. That's what gets in the way. And when, when human beings push aside listening to that one Lord, one spirit, together as one body, then there's where all the differences come. In fact, Paul, when he wrote to one of his letters, he says, what's the matter with you? Why are all these quarrels? What is your problem? And he says, it's because because of you, because of self. Because you've wanted your own way. And when you've got humpteen people wanting their own way. But Paul has given us such wonderful instruction on how different people can come together and get along. The unity of the spirit. The unity of the body. The way Jesus, before he left in John 17, the way he wanted his children to walk this earth, that we would get along, that, that the world would watch and see how beautiful it looks when different people are together in one accord. And his name is Jesus. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. 
It bothered me a little bit when I thought, when I first first read, and this is why it's so important that we keep going over it, and we keep asking the Lord to, to give us insight, depth of insight. That's another thing Peter or Paul wrote to in one of his letters, that I pray every day that you have depth of insight, that you'll have more and more depth of insight. Remember last week where he says um, that, that I pray that you will have power through his spirit in your inner being. So you sit there and you contemplate within your inner being, asking the Holy Spirit who dwells in your inner being to really show you each one of us, he is given, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. See, when I first think of the word grace, I, I think of salvation, that undeserved merit that we've been given. And then I think, do you mean that he's got more grace for someone else than he does me? And and then it became very clear as I read the eighth verse that grace is extends in so many different areas. You know, I just want to make this clear once and for all is that it took just as much grace to save you as it took to save me. He did not apportion out grace for for salvation because believe me, there isn't one of us that that could have gotten it any other way than just humbly coming to him in repentance. And so the salvation grace was given the same to every one of us who will come to him. But grace also extends out when then he uses his, the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit then produces within us gifts, spiritual gifts, gifts that now are going to enable us to fulfill the plan that he has for us. I think the biggest thing that we should realize is that there isn't one of us that can serve the Lord Jesus without the Holy Spirit. If you really want to do it right. Oh, there's many people doing good works for the kingdom of God, but they want the pats on the back. They want the recognition. They're doing it for themselves. They have ulterior motives. But he has given each and every one of his children spiritual gifts, and that he apportioned. He gave you different spiritual gifts. He gave me different spiritual gifts. Remember last week we talked about the fact that that Peter, John, and Philip were in Samaria, and you know you'd think that he would use Peter or John with the Ethiopian eunuch, but because the Lord knew Philip so well, he wanted to use Philip for this particular service. I have said many times that, you know, that my husband and I, we have two sons, and they're both pastors, and yet they are both extremely different, and, and then, of course, there's me plumped here in the middle, and all three of us have such different ways of presenting, being used, how the Lord is using the, the three of us. And yet, what's so exciting is that as different as what we all are, 
you know, Jason, he is, he's, um, he kind of has been around the block a few hundred times. And so his approach to the gospel, because he knows what it's like to be, just to be in the pit of despair and just heading into terrible trouble. And, and then the, he comes to the Lord and he watches the Lord change him. And he's so grateful for his salvation, for his redemption and and he's, he, that's, that's the way he approaches. Our other son is much more spit and polished and much more educated, far more educated. And, oh, he can communicate to people that Jason or I could never be able to, to communicate with as far as language-wise. And then, I, you know, I just take a look at myself and, and I think, too, how the Holy Spirit takes all three of us and has the same destination for all of us, but just gets us there in a different way. Because he knows, he knows us so well and he knows how he gives us. He gives us the spiritual gifts that we need. He gives us the experiences that we need. To what? To share the gospel with people. That's the, that's the goal, is to get people to know and, and accept and understand their Savior. I know for years the Lord used the medium of singing for me. And then he had a different destination. He had a different, he had a different way. And so when the singing stopped and, and he just made the Bible studies a, a little more, more forefront, but yet no matter whether it's singing or whether it's teaching or whether it's this personality or this personality, he knows us and he knows, and he knows how to apportion the spiritual gifts so that we can accomplish getting to that same destination and that's giving him all the glory and sharing with people their need for Christ. What does he ascended mean? Because when Paul says, when he ascended on high and he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men, what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. Now listen to Paul explain. Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Oh, he descended, all right, to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And why? Why did he dibby out or portion the gifts differently? I think of my husband Tom and and our boy's dad. You know, the three of us are a little more upfront, but I think, oh my goodness, if if God hadn't given Tom the abilities that he has and the gifts that the spiritual gifts that he has, 
that's that's what kind of he was kind of the glue that that kept our ministry going. He was the one that knew how to coordinate and communicate with different people across the country. But we were all doing it for one purpose. And watch what Paul says. Yes, Jesus gave some the ability to be a prophet, some an evangelist, some pastor, some teachers. And why? Look, to prepare God's people for works of service. Someone's got to lead. Someone's got to teach. Someone's got to reel them in. Someone's got to be reading this and showing people. The reason why he gives us spiritual gifts is for one purpose, so that we can prepare God's people for works of service, so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a mouthful. He wants us the best we can be. He wants us to know all there is to know because this is an endless treasure chest of knowledge and wisdom and growth and maturity and abundant living. There is no such thing as just staying status quo. If you are content where you're at when it comes to spiritual maturity, then you don't understand this. Because there is an endless end to spiritual maturity. Every one of us should be working toward that more and more all the time. Spiritual maturity is when you get to know him better and better. And he starts changing you more and more as you surrender more and more. Because you know him more and more. That's what Paul's saying here. We're all doing this. He's apportioned different gifts to us because we have a Savior. We have a Messiah. We have a Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, came and paid the price so that salvation could be heard, understood, accepted. Remember when we when Paul said you're predestined, it was God's plan, it was God's desire that this gospel go to the world and that everyone would believe so that they could experience the fullness of all what God has for us. This is so important. We should want to be so full of the fullness of God. Paul talked about it last week. He's reiterating it again this week. Do you have a desire to be full of the fullness of God? Or do you still love to maneuver? Does self still love to maneuver? Then you are not full with the fullness of God. You haven't surrendered at all. Boy, the way he puts this. The reason he apportions his gifts is to prepare God's people 
for works of service. So it's just like a beautiful circle that as you go out there and more people see it through you, then they come to know, and then people see it through them, and then more people can know. And it, it's just on an ongoing circle. I learn so that then I can teach, so then someone else can learn, so that then they can go teach. You say, well, I don't have the capabilities of teacher. Maybe, maybe you haven't been given the gift to teach maybe to the throngs, but you know what? As a mom or a dad or as a grandma or a grandpa, you know, some of these gifts can be used in such special, unique ways with the people we love the most. And Paul is saying that our goal should be that we all reach the unity in our faith, that we all get it. And that we all are maturing because our desire is to attain the whole, the full measure, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We should want nothing less than the fullness of Christ. Oh, my goal is to not see one speck of me in my character. Oh, I got a long way to go, but that is my goal. I do not want to see any of me in my character. Because Paul wrote in Romans 8, 28, you, you know the verse, for we can know that in all things God's working for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. But so often the 29th verse, it's got to go along with it because God's purpose for us is to change you and I into the fullness and into the, well, so that we can become more like his son. That our character, then through the power of the Holy Spirit, producing those nine beautiful fruit of the Spirit, which is Jesus' character, that it isn't about self, it's about him. And that kind of character is coming from us. That's God's goal for us. And he'll do whatever he has to do. That's why we can know that in all things, he's turning, for the, he's turning all things for good. Even though they don't appear good or look good at the time, he knows that after going through this experience, maybe if we're willing to look at this suffering and see it as purpose to turn us into the likeness of his son. But you've got to desire that. You've got to want to have the character of Christ. You have to make the effort. We've got to listen to, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. That's got to be something you want bad. Look at verse 14. Because when you attain, when, you're, when, you, when your goal is to experience the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. If you aren't strong, if you do not know God's word, if you're trying to play both sides of the fence, if you are not taking the time to study, and I mean study, not just a five-minute devotional every day, I mean making it a diligent part of your life every day, 
you will not grow. You will not mature. And you will stay like a, like a little kid. And you'll be going up and down with the waves. I mean, some days you'll be happy when things are going your way. And then when, when life kind of throws you a curve, then down you go and you're in the pit of despair and depression. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying, when you're, when you're experiencing the fullness of Christ, you will stay consistent you won't be up and down and tossed all around and you're moody. And I mean, have you ever met somebody that you kind of you were nervous because you didn't know what mood they'd be in? Because it shifts and changes so often. I mean, some days, oh, it's a good day. Oh, they're in a good mood. Or the next time you meet them, oh, they've all bite your head off. No, experiencing the fullness of Christ, no matter whether life goes, goes up or down, or whether, or whether it's just difficult, or whether you're in just a really wonderful time right now, you should be spiritually, you should be at the same level. You should be in a relationship with Christ that no matter whether it's a good day or if it's a tough day, you are rock solid in who you are in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, there are so many out there who are, as Paul said, oh, they're cunning, they're crafty. They've got deceitful schemes, but they make it sound so good. And if you don't have the little red flags of the Holy Spirit saying, I don't know, that doesn't quite mesh up with what I've learned from God's word. Oh, it's so easy. Just go with those charmers. And before you know it, you're on one next spiritual fad and you're riding the waves up and down. Instead, he says, instead. Verse 15, this is what he wants, speaking the truth. And remember, truth. What's the only book you have that you can count on every word to be true? That's why we say it every week. So Paul says, instead of that up and down and that moody and it gives it a good day, a bad, no, no matter what's happening in life, instead, he says, speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. You keep your Bibles open. You keep studying. You keep maturing and growing and getting to know him better. You make the effort. You have the desire to become and to have the character of Christ. From him, the whole body. From Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as, as each part does its work. You know, he uses, in the version that I'm using, he uses the word um, that the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. He uses kind of that body part and I don't know a whole lot about anatomy, but I think when you've experienced something, you learn. A couple years ago, I broke my arm, and 
I fell and I broke my arm and and uh, when I went and they saw the break but it was a clean break and he says you know this break will heal within three three to four weeks not he says I'm not a bit concerned about that about that break he says what I am concerned about is that you tore two ligaments and he said that's where you're gonna that's where you're gonna feel it and that's where it's gonna kind of keep you immobile you're not going to be able to do what you used to do for a while. I can't do a whole lot. They're going to have to heal, but it's going to take a long time. And I heard his words, but, you know, I just was more concerned about my broken arm. But that arm did, that, that broken arm healed very quickly, no problem. But I'll tell you, it was a long time before I could really stretch up my arm to reach in the closet or, or stretch to my side. Or He was right. There's something that's very supportive about those ligaments. And now I get it. And so when he said that, he says, well, we want from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament when the ligaments are doing their job, when, when the whole body is working together, it builds itself up. You're able to do. And when the ligaments aren't working, then you can't do what you would have been able to before. And then Paul goes on in verse 17, so I tell you, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. So I tell you this, and insist. Again, I can't make you do it, but I, I insist. I'm using a word that's very strong. I insist on. I insist in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. You know, that was a little hard for me too because so many of the Gentiles were being saved and, you know, Paul's just done such a bang-up job being the apostle to the Gentiles and now, you know, the, the, the churches that he started and the Gentile word used to be such a terrible word. But now, you know, we, we all come together, Jew, Gentile, the, the work. So what does he mean? I think it helps, at least for me to use the word uh, unbeliever. Or like you were before Christ. You know, you Gentiles, the way you were considered as dogs and you were worthless. And, and because of that, you know, you had pagan behavior and you used to do this. I mean, he talked about that last week. When he, you know, when he, when he mentioned that, you know, you Gentiles, this is the way you used to be. You were once dead in your transgressions, and you know he made us see. And so I think what he's saying, I insist in, a, in the Lord that you no longer live as the way you used to, the way the way unbelievers do, the way you did before Jesus. Remember how you had futility of thinking. That you walked in the darkness. You were separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Remember how negative you, you were? Remember how discouraged you didn't have any hope? And 
and you just got your heart's got harder and harder. You've lost you had lost all sensitivity and so in other words, any probably you know you lost your conscience and so you know sin wasn't a big deal. Remember when you used to give yourselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more? Remember when, when your weaknesses took over and you just couldn't get enough and, and you didn't care who you hurt or what you had to do to obtain more, whatever? Every one of us has a weakness. But before Jesus, the weakness ruled us. After Jesus, this is what Paul is insisting on. Don't go back there. Don't let the weakness take over you. And when it, when it wants to try, you have got a power source within you. He's already talked about that power and strength. Paul says, I pray every day that, you may, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. So the Lord has given us everything we need to keep us from going back to where we once were. And then he, then he says, but you're not like that anymore. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were fortunate. You were fortunate to hear the gospel. Remember when Paul says to them, don't feel sorry that I'm in prison because of you. Because if I hadn't come to you, you wouldn't know this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Can't you just hear Paul say, remember when I pounded on the pulpit that day? <laughs> I'm sure he pounded many times, making sure that they knew about their former self. Remember how, how many times when I pounded every week saying that we have got to see ourselves the way we truly are before we can ever understand what Jesus did. And that's basically what Paul is saying here. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. And then I told you that because of Jesus, now he has brought you back. Now this is what you have to put off your old self. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You have to make a change. You can't live the way you used to. You can't let those weaknesses control you. You need to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Where that thought originates, you, you nip it. You've been made new, and you have a new attitude. You have a new purpose. And that starts in the attitude of your mind. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Wow, that's quite a change. But this is what he expects. Now I think verses 22 through 24, oh, I hope you start, underline it, Put yellow, pink, whatever, so that it comes out at you. This is the way God expects you and I to be. 
this is what he expects us to expects to happen to us. And then in verse 25, he kind of pins it down a little more. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. You must stop lying. And you must speak truthfully to your neighbor. Now, who's your neighbor? It's anybody you're with right now. It's the person you're with at any given time of the day. But just remember, integrity. He also expects us to have a life of integrity. And integrity is living for him even when no one's around. But here he says, stop lying. Speak truth. For we are all members of one body. And this is the way the body behaves. In your anger, do not sin. I mean, you were going to get mad. I mean, he's not saying that you're not going to get angry. But he says, don't sin. In other words, control it. Don't let self start taking over because that is exactly what Satan wants. And then he can just run havoc and you say and you do and you can't take that back. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Oh, he's just wanting to get in that little crack. When you are mad. And if, you're, if you aren't careful, you will get madder and madder. Can I just say that the devil's work is to cause division in the family of God? You know, he, he knows that he can't get us because our soul is already committed to the Lord Jesus, but, but he still is going to try to cause havoc and accusations. Oh, he loves accusations, and then he wants to divide the family of God. And we know from Scripture, a house divided cannot stand. So, see, that's his objective. He wants to sow discord. He wants us to harbor anger in our heart. After all, look what they did, and instead of getting rid of it, there just starts getting bigger and bigger. And you know what? Maybe if I say it this way, maybe it will stop you in your tracks a little bit. Do you know that if no matter whatever cockamamie reason you think you got to be able to stay angry or whatever. Do you know that you're doing the devil's work? You're helping, you're working for the devil. You're helping him out. So Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. You're going to get angry, but don't go back to self and let self take over because that's going to give the devil a major crack to get in. And he will get a foothold. And then relationships and words and all this kind of stuff get out of control. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. I know maybe you don't steal from a store or whatever, but there's so many avenues of stealing. 
So just think about it. He said, if you've been stealing, don't steal anymore. Must, you must work doing something useful with his own hands. If you know that this is a weakness for you and you have trouble in that area, get busy doing something else. Get your mind off that. You've got a choice. Do something for somebody else. You know, that always solves it. Get you off you and onto somebody else. Maybe you can help and share with those in need. Oh, that will do you a world of good and keep you from such problems. Do not, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I go back to, you know, sometimes people like to be, you know, the, you know, had a party or they want to, they want to be in the land. They want to have people listen to them. They want to feel important. And sometimes, you know, they say things and don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. If it's going to hurt somebody, I know sometimes we put others down so that we can look better. And we, but that is just so not Christ-like. Paul is warning, be careful what comes out of your mouth. Gossip and, oh, sometimes gossip, it's People say, well, you know, I just I just want to tell other people so that they could be praying too. Well, if that's your objective, but you better you better be sure about your motive on that one. Just make sure that no unwholesome talk, no gossip. You you wanna you wanna be known for building others up, not for tearing them down. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, you, you and I should never want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? That you're, you're upsetting him, you're disappointing him by your thoughts or your words or your selfish motives or whatever. He knows it all. Grieving the spirit could be as simple as you sitting down to read newspapers, magazines, novels. There's nothing wrong with that except it grieves the Holy Spirit when you are taking the time to read all of those things and there lays your Bible totally unread for the day. That grieves the Holy Spirit. You don't have time. You don't have time. Oh, those those devotions, that time with the Lord, it just got, you know, that time in prayer with him, it just got away from you. And yet, the Holy Spirit sees you active with so many worldly things, sees you in all your relaxation and amusement times. Oh, but you don't have time to do what, is most important in your life to mature you, to grow you, to do what is expected of you after what he's done for you. If you really want to be a follower, a Christian, and you wear his name, you know what? 
it grieves him when he sees that you love the world more than you love him. And you might not say that in words, but lifestyle shows. It grieves him when he sees that when self is so important. It grieves him when he sees you on a path that's not going in the right direction and he knows that it's going to cost you and there's going to be consequences and there's going to be a hurt and pain and brokenness. It'll probably stun your growth and stop your maturity because it'll probably cause you to fall backwards. That grieves him. So Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. I took it upon myself to just look up what these words mean. Get rid of, he says. Now again, strong language. Get rid of bitterness. Bitterness is a resentful spirit that refuses to reconcile. It's resentful it refuses. You want to throw in stubborn. Rage. Rage is when you've lost self-control and out of you comes these outbursts. And they are out of control. You have lost your self-control through the Holy Spirit and you now are out of control. Anger. Anger is, I know it doesn't sound as severe as rage, but anger, you know what? Anger kind of can settle in and then just rumble and build. Get rid of it. Get rid of bra brawling. Fight or quarrel that's noisy. <laughs> you know, you get a little loud, you get yelling. Get rid of it. Slander, making a false and damaging statement that it hurts someone's reputation. Probably to make you look better. Get rid of it. Make a false and damaging statement that can hurt someone, maybe for the rest of their life. Get rid of malice, intention, or desire to do evil to hurt someone. It's kind of it's kind of like a deeper slander, but it's on the same thing. Get rid of those. Be kind and compassionate. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Doesn't that sound like the character you want when you're around people, when you're even by yourself? You're just kind and compassionate. Forgiving each other just as Christ just as in Christ, God forgave you. Oh boy, that word forgiveness opens up a whole another can of worms. We could be here for another hour, but it is such a big one. And I think we have covered a lot, but forgiveness, well, this helped me. I went to King James with this verse. And King James has, says it this way. And to me, I think this really sums up how we can forgive. Even as God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. 
even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Forgiveness does not mean it's okay that they did it. Forgiveness is just something that will eat away at you, and that's why Jesus said, I want you to forgive. And he even put it as blunt to say, if you don't forgive, then I don't forgive you. My Father will not forgive you. And you think, well, man, that's tough. Well, yes, it is, because he knows the damage of unforgiveness. And he's saying, once you understand how Christ forgave you, that's why this verse, I think that answer to forgiveness, how do you forgive when forgiveness is so hard? You do it for Christ's sake. You do it for Christ's sake. And, and you do it for his sake because thank goodness he did it for you. And because he did it for you for his sake, you do it for him. And forgiveness weighs a million pounds. And, or unforgiveness weighs a million pounds. And you ought to feel the relief when you do it God's way. But just, just let me say one thing. Once you forgive, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get hurt again. And maybe whoever hurts you, maybe will never actually do that same hurt to you again. But sometimes it, it reappears in your mind. Your mind goes back to that, and you know that you've forgiven, and yet, oh, there it is in your mind again, and you can just feel yourself rev up again. I think that's why Jesus told Peter, you need to forgive again and again and again. So I think for me, how do I keep forgiving? I just take myself again back to the cross, and there I stand, and I forgive. I'm, in the, I'm able to forgive because of the Holy Spirit working inside of me and doing what I can't do, and I'm doing it, and I desire to do it because for the sake of Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson. It sure does bring it home and help us to see how important it is to live our life worthy of the calling, our, our redemption, our salvation. Live like it. May our old be gone. Let's not go back there anymore. And let's really desire to surrender and let the Holy Spirit have his way and keep us moving forward. Help us keep learning and growing and maturing so we can know you more and act like you more and that your character can shine through us more. And we pray it all in Jesus' name who made it all possible. Amen.